Well, good morning, Grace Church. How's everybody feeling this a.m.? You, you uh, awake today? Yeah? All right. A streak of like five or six days in Northeast Ohio, sunshine and no rain. That's a good thing. We got something to praise God about today. Amen? I want to dive straight in this morning. 1 Kings 19, 9, part B. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Hey, if we've not met yet, my name is Joe. I'm one of the youth pastors here at the Middleburg Heights campus. And so I want to say uh, good morning to everybody in the room. Good morning to those of you tuning in online or from our Olmstead campus or from our prison campus. Just want to say it is great uh, to be seen by you today. And it's great to be with you in the house uh, this morning. And uh, I have a question as we get started. Has anybody in the room ever had a meltdown before? That's lots of hands. Praise God for honest people. Uh, I've had one or two or 65 or uh, who's counting, right? Uh, There was a time in my life where I was in grad school and full-time youth pastoring and doing some young adults ministry and amongst other things. And every uh, time at the beginning of each semester when I'd get that coursework load, I would have a meltdown. I would just sit in front of my desk, it took like 24 hours to process everything. I would, I would talk to my wife about, there's no way I can do this. It's not going to happen. It's too much. And uh, obviously, I made it through. But uh, I became very familiar with meltdowns during that season of my life. And uh, the text that I want to preach to you today uh, is found in 1 Kings, as we just read. And it's in Elijah's meltdown moment. I want to talk to you about this idea of full send this morning. And if you are unfamiliar with that, it's pretty, uh, pretty familiar language to millennials and younger. It's this idea when somebody goes full send at something, it means I'm going 100%, I'm all in, uh, I'm not going back, point of no return, I'm in. So if you're like skydiving, it's like the idea of like full send, right? And so I want to talk to you about that concept today, even though I will never skydive in my life. Sounds terrifying. Um, We start with the prophet Elijah, one of my favorite characters in the whole Bible. And Elijah's name means the Lord or Jehovah is my God. And Elijah lived into and out of his name meaning. Uh, Elijah was a fiery prophet, constantly uh, trying to pull his people, the Israelites, back to God's covenant with them. Elijah ministered at a time where the Israelites were consistently going astray and worshiping uh, false gods, particularly the false god Baal. And so Elijah would constantly get himself into trouble with prominent people in high places uh, because he was an in-your-face guy calling people to follow the Lord. And this all comes to a head in his ministry. 
where he kind of goes zero dark 30 for a little bit, and then he emerges back on the scenes, and he uh, confronts King Ahab and 450 false prophets of Baal. And so picture the scene. It's 1 verse 450. And Elijah calls these false prophets on the carpet. And he basically says, hey, today we're going to see what's up. We're going to find out whose God is the true God. Is it Baal or is it Yahweh? The Hebrew name for God. So he says, here's the deal. I challenge you to a duel. You set up an uh, altar and an offering. I'll set up one too. Whoever's God responds with fire, that is the true God. The prophets of Baal agree to this. And for the next few hours, they set up their offering uh, on their altar, and they begin to worship Baal. And uh, ever so increasingly more uh, like fanatic, trying to get Baal to respond. They're, uh, they're going... Uh, they're shouting, they're dancing around. They even begin slashing their flesh, trying to offer blood sacrifices to get Baal to show up and do something for them. And um, Elijah starts mocking them. You know, like, maybe your God went on vacation. Maybe your God is sleeping. Doesn't say this in the text, but I, I like to think he threw it out there. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Uh, wh what happened to your God? Where is he at? Finally, their turn ends. Elijah takes his spot in the duel. He has them drench and douse his offering in water. And then he prays a simple prayer. And Yahweh responds from on high with fire from heaven that consumes his offering. He has the 450 false prophets of Baal put to death because it was a punishable sin by death in the Old Testament times. And you would think that Elijah would be feeling himself. You would think he would be on cloud nine. You would think that he had some swagger, some mojo, full of faith. And instead, we see the opposite happen. Uh, one chapter later, he gets a threat from Queen Jezebel, King Ahab's wicked wife, and he has an absolute meltdown. He runs off, hides in a cave. He doesn't want to do his job anymore. He's sick of being a prophet, and he's going to let God hear about it. And so... I like the story of Elijah because I see a lot of myself in him. Uh, moments of amazing faith and moments of massive blunders. Moments of, I believe God for anything. And moments of, God, are you even here? Are you listening? You know, am I really supposed to keep doing this ministry thing? I love the story of Elijah because I also work with teenagers. And I see a lot of Elijah mentality and teenage spirituality. You take kids on a youth camp, it's like, Jesus, yeah, woo! And then two weeks later, it's like, I don't even know if I believe in the Bible anymore. It's like, what? What are you? Bro, I just watched you cry at an altar for three hours and you don't believe in the Bible anymore? Come on, man. And so I see a lot of Elijah's story in, in my sphere of influence with young people. So Elijah's having this meltdown and I wanna jump Back into the text, 
this morning. In 1 Kings 19, 11b through 18, it says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. And this is a setup because surely God would be in the fire. I mean, right? Earthquake, wind, fire. Uh, God always shows up in the Old Testament in fire, plus third time's the charm, plus the chapter before Elijah prays, the fiery prophet prays and calls fire down from heaven But we find out in verse 12, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Look at your neighbor and say, what are you doing here? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. If you're not catching this, just let me pause and just explain. Elijah gets asked by God, what are you doing here? And he gives his spiel. Then God shows a bunch of, you know, Amazing displays of his power, earthquakes, winds, fire out of nowhere. And then he shows up and he speaks to him in a gentle whisper. And then he asks him the same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Like, what's going on? And I love Elijah's stubborn persistence. He gets asked the same question by Yahweh and he gives him the same exact response. It's, in other words, Elijah's saying, I'm not budging on this God. I'm not moving. I hate my job and I'm ready to quit. Like, I do not want to do this anymore. And so what's God going to do? Is God going to say, man, dude, you know what, Elijah? You're right. You get a three-year sabbatical, and I'll just use somebody else. Is that what he's going to do for Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king of, over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. In other words, Elijah, you're not the only one left. Stop having a pity party. Stop, I'm the only one left. Nobody. He's like, I got 7,000 people who worship me fervently and passionately. And you need to go. I love this. Can I talk to you about the biblical significance real fast of the word go? In Genesis 12, God shows up to a guy named Abram. He's now known as the father of our faith. His name's later changed to Abraham. It's God's solution to Genesis 11 and the national rebellion that occurs with uh, the Tower of Babel, the Babylonians. God's solution to that is starting with one man who's going to turn into a nation. He starts with Abram. And you know what the very first thing God says to Abram is? 
Go. Three people know. Sweet. Let's go. Uh, go. Right? And this is the beginning of the mission of God, the Missio Dei, where God's going to bring people back to him. He starts with Abram, and he says, go. And then Jesus steps on the scene, and he lives a perfect life. He dies a perfect death. He resurrects, uh, and right before he returns, in a sense, to the right hand of the Father, he looks at the disciples who are about to become the early church, and he says, therefore, all right, this side, this side is still strong. I like, I'm going to preach over this way this morning. Go! So this is the mission of God, the Missio Dei. The Missio Dei bookends with... Oh, there we go. Now you're waking up. Go. I love the old preacher adage, two-thirds of God is... Go. Elijah's whining. He's tired. He's mad. Is God going to give him a three-year sabbatical? God says, go. See, whenever I've heard people talk about like this passage, for the most part, they focus on the still small voice of God. Like when we talk about the still small voice of God, the, whisp the gentle whisper of God, we pull it from this passage. And that's great. But if we just focus on the still small voice of God, we miss most of the point of the story. And here's the point. It's not just that God speaks in a gentle whisper, but when he speaks, he gives clear direction. We have a God who communes with us, relations, uh, has a relationship with us, and he speaks to us. And when we're at our lowest moment, this God says, hey, here's some instructions for you. So Elijah wants to tap out. He wants to be done. God tells him, you're going to go anoint three people. Now, there's all sorts of opinions on why Elijah doesn't anoint all three people. I have my own opinion. We don't have time to get into that. But Elijah skips to the last person he's supposed to anoint. And it's his prophetic successor, Elisha. So if you were really just getting into the story of Elijah, sorry, but the text switches gears, and so we have to as well. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah said. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back, and he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat. And he gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. So the story of Elijah is directly linked to the story of Elisha. Elisha's call to ministry is contingent upon Elijah's go. Let me revisit that word go real fast. We just talked about it. But let me talk to you about how the kingdom of heaven works. The kingdom of heaven works like this. We do the going, and as a result, 
then we get, God does the showing, and we get the knowing and the growing. Let me prove that to you. Genesis 12, once again, and God spoke to Abram, and he said, go to a land I will show you. Not to a land I have shown you, to a land I will show you. He doesn't get the showing until he does the going. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you've literally prayed or, or had conversations with people and you've said a phrase like this, man, I just wish I knew what God was calling me to do. I wish I, I, wish I knew God's plan for my life. But that's not how the kingdom of heaven works. That's not how the life of faith works. You go and then you begin to know. Some of you are sitting here and like, let's just call a spade a spade, right? Uh, and, and you have not spiritually grown in a while. You feel complacent. You feel lackluster. You feel like you show up to church, you do the church thing, you worship here. Ooh, they played my favorite song. I liked it. It was good. I'll give a little hand raise. That was great. And then you leave, you go to your favorite lunch spot, and nothing's changing Monday through Saturday. And, and you've even tried Bible studies. You've even tried small groups. And, and those things are great. We champion those. We pioneer those. There's nothing wrong with those. But it still feels like something's missing deep down and my question is is maybe you're just growing here but you're not growing in missionality and so you're becoming complacent you're becoming stagnant and and honestly you're not much more than a Christian atheist and, and you you want to grow but first you have to go first you have to go and Elijah he goes he anoints his prophetic successor in Elisha. He throws his cloak around him. And I love this story. And I hope that you will today too. Because we don't know that much about Elisha. But we know enough to paint a picture. Elisha's farming. He's in the fields, farming. Anybody come from a line of farmers? I do. Um, I grew up hanging out on my grandparents' farm and decided very early on, this is not what I want to do with my life. <laughs> hard work. Hard work. And um, he's farming, and it says that he's on his 12th yoke of oxen, his 12th pair of oxen for the day. And uh, I'm not very good at math, but I know that 12 times 2, a yoke is 2, is 24. And so his family has at least, baseline minimum, 24 oxen. Not only do they have 24 oxen, but if he's on the 12th pair that day, they have a whole lot of land. And in our culture, we measure wealth through things like nice clothes, nice sneakers, maybe a yacht, maybe, maybe a, a boat or, or whatever, we measure wealth through those things. In their culture, they measured wealth through land and animals. And so what's the picture we have painted of Elisha? Elisha comes from wealth. Elisha comes from financial security. He comes from stability. He comes from hard work, but a comfortable lifestyle. Elijah probably gets up, crack of dawn, 
Works the farm, 10 to 12 hour days. Then he kicks up by the swimming pool, sipping lemonade in the shade the rest of the night. He doesn't got to worry about paternity uh, leave. He works with, with his parents, and so he at least gets, like, you know, a couple months off for that. He gets some vacation, so he's going to work hard, but he gets the weekends off. He, he probably has some sort of comfort in his life. And at once, everything shifts. Now, we don't know if Elisha had been praying things like, God, use me. We don't know if he'd been praying things like, God, there seems to be something missing in my life. I know I'm called to something more. We don't know if he's had dreams or visions. We don't know if he really knows the meaning of his name. We'll get there later. Uh, but he's been praying into that, saying there's something more for me and my destiny, God. All we know is Elijah shows up, throws a cloak around him, which, man, that sounds awful after you've been sweating all day in a farm, right? Like, who would want, like, if I came up to you after you mowed your lawn and threw a, threw a mink coat on you, you'd be like, what the heck? But but this isn't weird to Elisha. For Elisha, this is an opportunity to something more. Elijah shows up, throws a cloak around him. It's, this, it's the equivalent in the New Testament of Jesus showing up to, to the disciples and saying, follow me. And I love what the text says. Because the text says that Elisha runs after Elijah, he runs. And if I'm gonna run at you, it won't be very fast, just being honest, but if I'm gonna run at you, it implies that there's a level of distance between you and I. And see, what I think happens in this moment is Elisha's been working this long day, some random dude throws a cloak around him, but he knows what it means, he knows it's a call to follow him, and so he has to take a moment, he has to consider, am I ready to leave my family? Am I ready to leave my 401k? Am I ready to leave my, my pension? Am I ready to leave my savings account? Am I ready to leave comfortable, four weeks at least vacation, a, a month or two of paternity leave? Am I ready to leave that all behind? Elisha has to consider, the cost and he deems that it's worthy and he chases after Elijah he just asks him for one thing let me go back and kiss my mom and my daddy seniors before you leave make sure you give your mama a kiss and at least give your daddy a hug all right but guess what the next part of the story we don't read anything about him going back and giving his mom and dad a kiss. I think he did that. I bet Elisha's a good son. But what we get is absolutely drastic. Elisha goes back to the fields. He grabs the two oxen he was just plowing with. He murders them. And then he sets the plowing equipment on fire. And he calls the village and says, let's have a barbecue. Now, some of you aren't laughing, and I, I just, I don't, I mean, when I read the Bible, I laugh. Like, this is crazy. The equivalent is me showing up to my parents saying, hey, I'm called to ministry. They look out the window. There's dead animals, and I set my car on fire. <laughs> and they're like, what? what? I'm like, let it burn. Burn it. But you could sell that for money for Bible school. Burn it. I don't care. Burn it to the ground. Oh, by the way, yeah, we're having a party. Like 300 people coming over. It's going to be awesome. What? 
Like this is, this is as drastic as Elisha could get. He told Elijah, I just gotta go back and kiss my mom and dad. Next thing you know, there's blood on his hands, there's dead oxen in the ground, and there's a fire in the backyard. What is, what? What are you doing, man? See, what Elisha was doing was he was saying, this is death to my plan B. This is death to security. This is death to stability. This is death to the comfortable things that I've known much of my life. I'm ready to go full send. I'm ready to go all in. I'm ready to follow Jesus with everything. See, in Elisha doing this and him setting these things on fire, I believe it's the equivalent of him saying, death to my plans, death to my possessions, and death to my past. And if you and I are going to follow Jesus with everything inside of us, we all must release our grip on those three things, our plan, our possessions, and, in our, and our past. I'm a futuristic, visionary person. I love calendars. Raise your hands if you like calendars. I like them more than you. I've got like five of them, all right? My, my youth staff, they make fun of me for it. I still rock the old school paper desk calendar. I got the Google calendar. I got my whole next three months schedule on my blackboard and my wall. When you walk in my front door on a glass board in our wall, we got the month laid out. I love calendars. My secret addiction, calendars, right? <laughs> Plans are not bad. But is your plan keeping you from going in faith? Then you need a new plan. Possessions. There's nothing wrong with possessions. Like, thank God that you're wearing clothes this morning. Like, praise God for it, man. Like, it's a good thing. We're all happy because of it. You need a car to get to work? Praise God you have a, a, a car. Cars, clothes, nothing wrong with those things. But what I always ask teenagers, and I want to ask you this morning, do you have your stuff or does your stuff have you? Isn't it weird that our possessions tend to find a way to possess us? And some of you in the room today, the very thing that's keeping you from following Jesus full send 100% is there's something in your past that's gripping you. There's something in your past that's limiting you. There's some failure, some mark of shame, some abuse, some trauma. Maybe it's church hurt. Maybe it's a failed marriage. There's something in your past that every time you say, you know what, it's my time to respond. There's a little voice in your head that says, no, 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 remember this. And you've got to burn that thing to the ground, get rid of it, and forge through in faith or you will miss your moment. Desperate times call for desperate measures, and for Elijah, Elisha, this was his moment. What things in your past need set ablaze so that you can better follow Jesus? What's gripping your heart this morning as you hear this message? Have you been holding too tightly to your plan, holding too tightly to your possessions, or holding too tightly to your past? But that's not all. He doesn't just kill the oxen. He doesn't just start a fire in his parents' backyard. He has a barbecue. 
And see, for Elisha, this is symbolic to what he's about to be doing for the rest of his life. He's about to go from eating to feeding. And it's a transition that every single one of us needs to make in our spirituality, or you will feel not much more than at the level of a, of a Christian atheist. If you never make the transition from feeding or from, from eating to feeding others, you will always feel like something's lacking in your life. My friend Dave Pafford, he puts it like this. We know we've stepped into spiritual maturity when we're ready to allow others to feed off the sacrifice of our own lives. And maybe that's weird to you. Like, what do you mean by that? What do you mean I'm supposed to sacrifice? Jesus sacrificed, but what, what's that mean for me? Roman 12, Romans 12, 1 says this. Therefore, I urge you, uh, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's your true and proper worship. We no longer see fire come down from heaven and consume oxen or cows or anything like that. Fire comes down from heaven at altars and consumes you and me. We're the offering. We're the offering. See, you don't get the story of Elisha, this desperate response, this amazing story without the faith and obedience of Elijah. When Elijah's whining about his calling, when he wants to be done with ministry, God doesn't say, here's a sabbatical. God tells him, go and make a disciple in Elisha. If you aren't growing in your faith, ask this question, who has God put before me to disciple? You won't grow until you go. The question has to shift from what can I get out of this to what can I contribute to this? Not what can I eat, but how can I feed? And see, I love this story. It paints an absolutely beautiful picture I love the story of Elijah and Elisha and how it's applied in my own life. But this story is to be taken at face value, but it also gives you something in the shadows that I want to point out to you today. That you have to look a little closer to see. Before we get to Elisha's name meaning, let's start with Jesus. Jesus comes from Yeshua, uh, really close to Joshua in the Old Testament, and Jesus' name means the Lord is my salvation, or the Lord saves. Elisha means God is my salvation. Now, this is really interesting when you put it together. Elijah came, and his name meant the Lord or Jehovah is my God. Elisha comes, and his name means the Lord is salvation. The Lord's my salvation. So Elijah's names are declaring God is God. He's to be worshipped. And then Elisha comes declaring the nature of how this God operates. He's a saver. You look in the New Testament and Elijah gets a lot of airtime, Right? Because Elijah was supposed to come back before the Messiah came. And people took that literally, but Jesus says, hey, if you can accept this, John the Baptist was the Elijah that is to come. And if you think about Elijah's ministry, or if you think about John the Baptist's ministry, what was he? He was a fiery dude in the wilderness. And what was Elijah? A fiery dude. They're both fiery prophets 
saying, hey, repent, worship God. But guess who doesn't get any airtime in the New Testament? Elisha. This is very subversive. You can't see it. But if John the Baptist is a fulfillment of the Elijah to come, then Jesus is a fulfillment of Elisha. Jesus is a, in the, in the words of the late now T Tim Keller, Jesus is a true and better Elisha. Everybody knows that Jesus is a true and better Adam or true and better Moses. Nobody hardly sees that Jesus is a true and better Elisha. Can I keep going real fast? Elijah shows up and he has this prophetic ministry and he's carried to heaven in fire. Right before he leaves, Elisha says, hey man, I want a double portion of your spirit. Elijah says, okay, well we'll see if you get it based on this sign. The sign was that he would get his cloak, strike water, and a miracle would happen. The water would split. Well, Elisha, when Elijah's carried off, he gets his cloak, he gets his mantle, he strikes the water and it splits right before him, a sign that he got a double portion of his spirit. Check this. In the Old Testament, it's recorded that Elisha does double the miracles of Elijah. Not only that, the body of water that he struck was the Jordan River. And years later, where would John and the Baptist and Jesus meet? the Jordan River, where Jesus was baptized. Literally, it's, it's beautiful. See, through Elijah's yes to God, when he wanted to throw in the towel in his ministry, comes Elisha. That story, in turn, becomes a prophetic foreshadowing of both John the Baptist and Christ's ministry years later. Do you think when Elijah wanted to throw in the towel, when he wanted to quit his job, do you think that he knew that one day he and the person he discipled would, would become a picture of John the Baptist and Jesus, Jesus Christ's ministry and relationship? I doubt it, but it happened. And see, you and I, because we come after Jesus has revealed himself, we can't be a prophetic foreshadowing of Jesus, but we can be a direct reflection of him. We don't point people to Jesus' first coming, like Elijah, Elisha did, but we point people to his second coming. That's our role. That's what we do. So the only question I have left for you this morning is are you willing to burn the plow and set flame to your past so that you may walk fully into the calling that God has for you? Are you willing and ready to say, God, here's my plans, here's my possessions, here's my past, take it all, set it on fire because I want to burn for the world to see. The worship team can come forward and um, you guys are welcome to take this, this table if you want. I got saved in high school. And um, when I gave my life to Jesus, it just got, it got radical. It got wild. Uh, we, we tried to flip our school on its head. We started a Bible study. We had 30, 40 people coming to it. We took 30 or 40 kids to youth group one time. I was preaching to people in the hallways. I was praying for kids in ceramics class. And, uh, and I had a youth pastor uh, for two, two years. My, my junior and senior year, I had a youth pastor that I got really close with. 
And uh, he's the one who taught me to have a fascination with the biblical text. Yeah, you can take that. Thanks, man. And uh, right after I graduated high school, my youth pastor got fired. And uh, the only problem was, is he got fired, but the person who fired him didn't consult the church board. And so when the church board found out that he got fired, they were not very happy. And so this whole thing happens, and they want to rehire my youth pastor after they felt like he was unjustly fired. And there's a moment in this story when a board member is at my youth pastor's house in his garage, and they're having a shouting match at each other. My youth pastor saying, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go back there. I don't want to work in that environment. And the board members like screaming at him saying, you know you're supposed to be here. God's not done with you here yet. All of that. My youth pastor ends up staying at that church. Over those next two years when I was in college, that's when we actually get really close. I end up interning with him. That's where I cut my teeth in student ministry. And I learned like the ins and outs of how to be like a youth pastor. And I end up years later having his kids in my youth group. And to this day, that dude's like another dad to me. Like there is no Joe without that man. There's no Joe without him. In the moment where he probably didn't want to do it anymore, he wanted to quit, he was done, I'm tapped out. He said yes to God, and then the fruit of his life is me and people just like me. You never know. You never know who's on the other side of your yes to Jesus. You never know who's on the other side of your obedience. Would you stand with me this morning? I just had a sense today as I prepared uh, this morning that God wants to do some deep work in people's lives. We actually didn't do this during the 9 a.m. But if you're on the prayer team and you want to come forward, uh, I know we usually invite you after the message, but if you want to come before, forward now for this last song, and when we want to begin this prayer time now, if, if you would say, man, the, the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is tugging. The Holy Spirit is convicting, and I need to respond now. We're going to open this place up today for you to respond. We have so many pastoral team members and, and prayer team members here ready to pray with you. So as we enter this last worship song, I just want to pray real fast. If everybody would close your eyes with me this morning. If, if you, and this is not saying that you're signing up to come to the altar today, but if you, if you would say that God has tugged at my heart this morning and he's convicting me of my grip on my plans, my possessions, or my past, would you just throw your hand up for me this morning? Hands all over this room. Hands all over this room. Holy Spirit, 
Lord Jesus, we receive your invitation today to respond. We receive your invitation to respond today, Lord. God, would you give us the posture of surrender, Lord? Would you give us the posture of surrender today, God? Lord, call us further and deeper. Help us to set the past ablaze, to burn the plow and respond to you this morning. We need you, Jesus. We love you. In your name, amen. This altar is open.